You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Amen. And uh, it's always a household of faith that will draw. Uh, God is always looking for believers. Before we were called Christians in the Bible, we were called believers. Believers. And God is looking for a believer. Jesus said to, to Martha, did I not say to you that if you would believe, then you would see the glory of God? A lot of people say, well, hang on, if you bring the glory of God, then I'll believe. The, uh, the religious Pharisees said to Jesus, what sign will you perform so we can assess it and decide whether we believe or not? And he says, only a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. He said, you... You believe, believers see. The world says seeing is believing. The Bible says believing and you'll see. Believing comes first. Well, I think that's unfair. Well, you know, it's God's court, his rules. Well, how's it work then? How, how am I supposed to believe? Very, very simple. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Everything rises and falls on your ability, my ability to receive the word, to receive the word. The, 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 test of, the test of this life, if you said, hey, my 80 years, 90 years on this planet, what's, what's the one thing? The one thing is what, what do you do with the word of God? What are you doing with the word of God? Jesus talks about this life. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a sower who sow seed and some falls by the wayside and the birds of the air snatch it up and others fall in the shallow soil and because it's shallow, they spring up quickly but there's no root and so it withers when the sun comes out. Others fall amongst the, the thorns and, and weeds and the thorns and weeds choke the life out of it but some seed falls on good soil and it produces 30, 60, 100 fold. And the disciples are like, yeah, you know, Jesus, you know, awesome, awesome teaching on, you know, farming and, you know, agriculture, horticulture, you know, wonderful, wonderful stuff. But if you could just kind of get back to like theology, if you could just get back to, because they didn't understand. And Jesus is like, if you can't understand that, how are you going to, he says, the, the, the field is the world. The sower is the son of man. The seed is actually the word of God, which is Jesus as well. He kind of plays dual roles in, in this production. And then he, he begins to teach, but all four, 100% of the people, it depended on what they do with the word of God. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word endureth forever. Everything rises and falls on what you do with the word. And the word is so beautiful. The word is so beautiful. It's interesting that Jesus uh, uses as an analogy, as a picture, that the word is a seed. If I plant an apple seed... What am I going to get, Dr. Stephen? Apple, apple. If I plant an orange seed, oranges. If I plant a lemon seed, if I plant a... Whatever seed you plant, that's what it's going to produce. So if you plant a word seed, the, the, the word is the kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is built in words. The, the Word of God. Whenever you plant the Word of God in your life, it will produce a kingdom harvest in your life. 
The devil doesn't want a kingdom harvest. He hates the Word of God. He wants to blot out God's name. He wants to blot out God's remembrance. He wants to blot out God's reverence. He wants to blot out God's worship. He wants to blot out God's honor in the earth. And the way that he does that is by trying to eliminate, extinguish, minimize, obstruct, restrict the Word of God. But we are not of those who shrink back. You're the smartest people in all of South Bay because you got up this morning and said, I'm going to go to the house of God where I'm going to hear the Word of God so that the kingdom of God can begin to flourish in my life. Your life will look different to everybody else's life because you're putting the Word in your heart. Amen? When the Word is in your life, everything begins to flourish. All right, come with me in your Bibles. I know that it's Connect Week and uh, there's some wonderful bright green cards on your seats. They may look like or feel like seat warmers, but apparently they're not. We're trying to get everybody into a connect group. So a really boring title today, A Connected Life. So in the 13 minutes that I've got left, come with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I want to talk to you really briefly on a connected life, why you need a connected life. It says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good. Everyone say not good. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And every married man said, amen, amen. It is not good. The first thing God said was not good was for you and I to do life on our own. First thing God said was, not, you know, up until then, everything was good. The Bible says that God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light and it was good. The light he called day, the darkness he called night, evening, morning, first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament. And it was so, and it was good. And then God said, let, you know, dry land appear, and it was good. And let, let the ground produce all kinds of herbs and all kinds of fruit and all kinds of trees and flowers. And, and God's like, man, look at this beautiful flora. Look at this, all the fragrances, all the colors, all the life. It was good. And then God created all the little bees and birds and hummingbirds and all the animals and behold it was good and then on the on the sixth day he created man and then everything upgraded and when he saw man who he created in his image and his likeness God says behold it was very good it was very good just want you to know you improve creation just let that sit for a second because uh, if any of you have uh, been in the world for any particular amount of time, there, there are people, Bill Gates, billionaires, who want you to believe, who want you to believe there are books written, the population bomb, there are books written that want you to believe that, that humans are a blight, that, that humans are a, are a pest, in, in the, the trilogy, The Matrix, Agent Smith says, what, what is it about your species? You're, you're, a, you're a disease on this planet. You're, we're the cure. And it's like, that's, that's the philosophy of the world. The world wants you to believe that, that the problem with creation is those, those rabid humans. And, and you'll hear it. You, I'm telling you, I can't... I, for a season, watch TED Talks. I thought, well, you know, it's good for me to engage and hear what the world, and I had to turn it off. It's like, it's, a, it's the same Luciferic claptrap. 
that, that, that the problem with the world is humans, that we're destroying the planet and our, our carbon emissions, you know, it's, it's you know, the, the, the uh, climate change. It used to be global warming, but then the stats didn't line up, so we just called it climate change. And, and you know, and, and, it's, and it's humans, and humans are the problem, and humans and humans, humans have problems, but they're not the, God says, no, no, no ha, have a look here. Everything was good until you came along. And then the Lord says, behold, it is very good. Everything got upgraded when you walked into the world, when you were born, when man was conceived. So I, I'm saying that on, uh, intentionally today just to try and rattle a few cages. And I know, I know. I only get, you know, 30 minutes to preach on a Sunday and there's 167.5 other hours where you're constantly getting the claptrap of the philosophical garbage from the world. And so what I'm saying is going to be a little bit controversial, but I'm just determined I ain't going to back up from the Word of God because I know that the Word will set you free. So I just want to remind you today that the moment you entered the world, you were part of God's upgrade. The world went from good to very good. But now, now God is looking down and God says, you know what's not good? It's the first time God said something wasn't good. He's like, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not, it's not good that man should be alone. This verse here in the scripture highlights and I believe underscores the fact that the God of the Bible is the only true God. That Allah, not God. Buddha, not God. Confucius, not God. Because no other God, no other God says this. Let, 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 me, let me just explain. If you study world religions, which we had to when I was in, in uh, Bible college, we had to study you, you'll find that there's, there, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an underlying similarity. That all of them are very, very insecure. Almost to the point of capriciousness. Like in, in Islam, you have to, to pray five times a day and you have to face Mecca. And they are told, do not expect Allah to answer your prayers for you are just a man and he is God. But still it's your duty to bow down five times a day facing, facing Mecca. He, he requires that from you. God says it's not good that man should be alone. What about that, Pastor? What, what, what makes that watch? God said it's not good that Adam, that man should be alone. Here's the truth. Adam wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. He had God. Not only did he have God, he lived in San Diego Zoo on steroids. I mean, today, you know, the dodo bird and there's a whole bunch of, you know, animals that are extinct, the white tiger. There were white tigers, Simba the white lion, dodo. I mean, he is surrounded by, by animals and, and all kinds of, and the Bible says that, that, that he walked with God in the cool of the day. Now, this is before sin. So, so we know that sin separates us from the Almighty. Adam, this is before sin. So Adam has perfect union, has perfect fellowship with God. He sees God through unfiltered lenses. 
He has connection with the Almighty God and only a true God can look down and say, it's not good for man to be alone because what God is saying is this, and it's gonna mess some of your heads, but let me just say it anyway. What God is saying is saying, you know what? Adam, I am not enough. Only a God who is unbelievably secure only God who is unbelievably secure. Now, nowhere does it say, and Adam was lonely. And the Lord God walked in the cool of the day, and there was Adam sitting up against a palm tree in the fetal position. <laughs> What's the matter, Adam? Nothing. Now, nowhere does it say, you know, because this is what I've noticed, because I am a man, is we don't realize what's wrong. I can't tell you how many times at home I did something, but I didn't even realize I did it. I didn't realize I did it. I changed the channel because I didn't like that show, but Leanne was watching. I didn't think she was watching because she was on the phone, but I changed the, but I didn't ask. I didn't ask. And so I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, nothing. So I'm thinking, oh, she says nothing. Then we can move on, but never move on. Because when they say nothing, it's not nothing. It's always something. And it's not just something, it's a big thing. And you're in big, anyway, and so, so I'm a man. So I, I didn't even realize what's broke. Adam wasn't, Adam wasn't saying to God, I, I just feel something missing in my life. He wasn't saying that. It was God that looked at Adam and he said, it is not good that man should be alone. Adam wasn't alone, he had God. He had perfect fellowship with God. But how many people know that even though we had perfect fellowship with God, that Jesus didn't just die on a pole, He died on a cross. It had a vertical beam between God and man, but it also had a horizontal. Jesus didn't only die to make you spiritual, to reconnect you with the Father. He came to bring reconciliation in, in the world. And God says, you actually need fellowship. You need community. You need familia. You need family. You need something that is flesh of your flesh. You need bone of your bone. You need to be able to interact on a purely human level as well as in a terrestrial, a celestial, excuse me, uh, realm. You also need divine inspiration and carry the prophetic, but you also need other people in your life. Only a God who is incredibly secure in his God self, in, in knowing who he is, could say, Adam, I am not enough. Wait there. I'm going to put you into a sleep and I'm going to make a helper suitable for you. You and I need fellowship. You and I do better in community. We do worse isolated. 2020, 2020 was a year of isolation. And, and you may say, well, we had to isolate because of the pandemic, because of the virus, the COVID virus, it was killing people. So we had to, but, but the, the empirical data right now shows that the, the isolations actually did very little to stop the spread. We had 15 days to stop the spread. And I think 227 days later, we're still not able to stop the spread. Australia has seven states, so Australia's a little bit easier. America has 50 states, so it's much easier for us to measure with only seven states. And the state that had the severest lockdown, the severest shutdown, the severest, I mean, they, they, they went all out. You were confined to your home. One lady that I know, a friend of mine, she has horses, and her horses are 14 miles from her home. 
they made a curfew, you could only travel five miles. She's thinking, well, they'd understand because I've got horses and I've got to feed the horses so they don't die. She got a $5,000 fine for driving 14 miles to feed her horses. The, the same state that she was in had the severest restrictions and the severest lockdowns, also had the highest deaths and had the highest COVID cases. When I grew up, um, we would get invited to um, parties that were chicken pox parties. Now, I didn't realize they were chicken pox parties. I thought they were a party. So I'm like, this is awesome. There's going to be cake. There's going to be like party games. There's going to be like party food. There's going to be candy. And, 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 and then, you know, we, this is awesome. I didn't realize it was a setup by the parents. <laughs> You're going to go to a party. Oh, am I going to get stuff? Oh, you're going to get stuff, all right. <laughs> Come on with these spots all over me and itchy and what the? It was a chicken pox party. Sweden, the one nation that didn't shut down, they're over the other side. They're wide open now. Everything is wide open. So, so we know that, we know that, you know, look, and they didn't know. Let's just give them the benefit of that. They didn't know. But I believe that there was another agenda. And we, we know that the isolation of the lockdowns, while it did not do what it was heralded or proclaimed to do with slowing the spread, what it did do was escalated depression. It escalated addiction. It escalated the number of suicides and the number of suicidal thoughts. It escalated abuse. It escalated divorce. It escalated tension. It escalated the amount of people that fell back into alcohol, alcoholism, back into drug addiction, back into vice. It escalated all the wrong things. So the data is out. And now we can look back and say, my God, this was not good. Man does not do well isolated. Uh, the CIA about 70 years ago realized that if they want to break down enemy combatants, the key to breaking down enemy combatants is to isolate them. Is to isolate them. When you are isolated, you, you become vulnerable to doubting what you believe. You become most susceptible to being indoctrinated with a new belief. A enemy combatants loyal to the KGB, loyal to... Al-Qaeda, loyal to their cause when, when they're isolated. And if they're isolated long enough, th those connections begin to faint and commitments begin to wither and now they are vulnerable. Could it be that in the agenda of a global reset, there was isolation to try and break you down? Uh, they show right now that, that children have a 0 0.00 zero, three percent chance of, of, you know, COVID having a negative effect on their life. And yet we've still got schools shut down. The same data shows that if, if you are isolated long enough, that being in isolation does to the human body the equivalent of being an alcoholic who, who smokes 15 cigarettes a day has the same impact on your body when you're isolated. Not only that, but when you are isolated, it literally shuts down the part of your brain that is stimulated through learning. The when, 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 when you're isolated, th those things shut down. So my daughter, who's a straight A student, has got Ds and Fs because she just does not do well when her school was shut down, trying to learn at home, trying to learn online. And I talked to one of the teachers recently. She said it was a phenomenon right through the grades that dropped because we don't do well in isolation. 
not only do we not do well in isolation, but every time there is a, every time there's a shooting, whether it's the Parkland shooting, uh, you know, the common denominator is always when they interview friends, when they interview work colleagues, they'll always say this about the shooter. They'll say, yeah, yeah, you know, he was a quiet man. He was a bit of a loner, kept mainly to himself. Behind every serial killer, they, there was an isolation that wasn't good. It's not good that man should be alone. You, you need other people. You need other people. This is again proven. So, oh, you know, you're just preaching the Bible, but it doesn't make any sense. I believe in science. I believe in science and biology. Can I just tell you that the Bible and biology go hand in hand. Science and Scripture go hand in hand. Scripture and science actually don't contradict. They complement as do biology and Bible. But let me just help you. So there's a place in uh, Pennsylvania called Rosito. Rosito was named after uh, the town where these migrants came from Italy, Rosetto Valvatore. I think is how it's pronounced, but I might be wrong. But anyway, but they, but they, these, and so in the 1950s and the 1960s, a lot of these coroners began to notice an anomaly. And the anomaly was that the highest lifespan in America seemed to all be coming on these death certificates from this one town. That if somebody died in their late 80s, it was like almost like a premature death that these people were regularly living into their hundreds. And, and, and the cause of death was old age. The cause of death wasn't heart attack, cancer, you know, hypertension. It was, th these, these people had very little disease and incredibly long life. So the experts thought, well, let's do a study because just maybe there's something magical in the soil. Maybe there's some minerals in, you know, the, the ground of if these people grow their own food and vegetables, maybe there's something there that we can distribute and we can tap into. They did all these soil samples, nothing in the soil. No, no, no minerals, nothing different. So they thought maybe it's in the water. Maybe these guys have some magical, you know, component to the water, nothing in the water. For a decade, they did study after study and every study came up blank. And just as they were coming to the end of the study, and this is in Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Outliers, just as they were coming to the end of this study, one of the families had a big storm had come through Pennsylvania and they had, uh, they had like a, uh, an extension they put on the back of the house where that had caved in with all the heavy rain and the winds. And what they noticed was immediately, without them having to send out an SOS or without asking anybody to help, the, the community immediately came around with their tools. The women came around with food and they're eating food and the men were working and then they'd take a break and they'd all eat together and they'd start singing it and then they'd go back to it. And, and the, 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 these, these scientists had never seen such a sense of community. And then they began to realize that the reason these people had like an exaggerated lifespan, had so few heart disease, hypertension, disorders, heart attacks, was because of the level of community that they have. You do well in community. Human beings flourish in community. You flourish in community. You don't do well by yourself. Now you may say, well, hang on, Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and the lonely places and there he prayed. How do you answer that? Great question. For him to often withdrew means that his default position was community. 
So he withdrew from community for a time to pray and then he came back to community. I found that there are times I need to disconnect from all the noise from just to hear God clearly, but then I reconnect again with community. In fact, if you look at Jesus' teaching, most of the teachings were done around a dinner table. In fact, the, the, the religious people of his day, the Pharisees were like, he, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. How can he be a true rabbi? Because it's guilt by association. If he's around these people, he can't be a whole, and yet he's around the dinner table. He's around. You need fellowship. You need fellowship. The, the Apostle Paul talks about people shipwrecking their life. So how do you get a ship that doesn't sink? It's really simple. It's called a fellowship. If you have fellowship in your life, it is the one ship that will, wither, that will weather every storm. It is the one ship that will not crash upon the rocks. It is the one ship that will not sink in the middle of your crises, in the middle of your catastrophe. You need fellowship in your life. You need fellowship in your life. Somebody say amen. So God says, it's not good that man should be alone, that Adam should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. God was saying, listen, son, you need more than just me. I know we don't sing that. You're all I need. You're all I need, Jesus. You're all I And it's a lovely song. It's a beautiful song. Not, not the, you know, theologically correct, but beautiful. If that was all, this verse wouldn't be in the Bible. You need people. Yeah, but I find people annoying. Exactly. <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? Listen, it is the annoying people that help you grow the fastest. I'm telling you, honestly, I, I would have never have, have learned what it is to forgive people. You know, when, when Peter comes up to Jesus, hey, Lord, how many times should I forgive, uh, you know, my brother when he sins against me? Like up to seven times? Just like, dude, you haven't even got going yet. I say to you up to 70 times seven per day. What the heck? And how many people know if you don't, if you don't exercise a muscle, it atrophies? You know, you, you lose it. One of the saddest things I've seen over the years is, is people that, that quote a lot of Scripture you know, you know, how you doing? And they can't give you an honest answer. They've got to make it spiritual. How you doing, oh, blessed and highly favored, Pastor? <laughs> Greetings and salutations, brethren. Yea, verily, for thine raiment doth show. And, you know, and, it's, and it's all super spiritual. It's all, it's all dressing. It's all... But then I've, I, they're not talking with this person. They're upset with that person. And it's like... Your Christian maturity is directly correlated to your inability to be offended. If you say, well, I'm a, you know, listen, I, I've got a, a PhD. I'm a, I've got a professorate in theology and divinity, and I know the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Aramaic. And, yet, and Jesus says, and yet if you say that you hate your brother, the love of God is not in you. Jesus is hanging on a cross and the Romans who abused him, the Romans who twisted a crown of thorns and put purple on him and mocked him, the Romans, the Romans who beat him are now gambling for his clothes at his feet. I mean, he is close enough to... I mean, he's closer. Now, obviously, that's the difference between me and Jesus, okay? All right. And, I mean, he, 
He right now is praying to the Father. I'd be praying to the Father for lightning bolts. Lord, do you see my, my coordinates right here? My latitude and longitude. God, here I am right here. Yeah, yeah. Just If you find that and just go like six feet in front of me, send a giant light. <laughs> I mean, that's... But I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Jesus instead is on the cross, not asking for latitude, longitude, coordinates, missiles coming from the sky. He's like, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Number one, they're not asking. Number two, they're not deserving. But Jesus is the picture of perfection. He's the picture of spiritual maturity. He's hanging on a cross to bring forgiveness, to bring reconciliation. It's got to start with somebody. He's not letting their evil, their abuse, their ignorance, He's not letting them offend Him. So He says, Father, forgive them. I found that the, the, the spiritual muscle of forgiveness only gets exercised in fellowship. When you're with people, do things they're like oh dear God why would they I remember when I was in Bible college I thought you know Pastor Stacy, I'm thinking I'm at Bible college I'm sharing a room with you know or a, a house with three other on fire Bible college I'm thinking my stuff's safe in the fridge <laughs> Enrique I would come home who ate my oh I had it what do you mean you had it I, I wrote my name on the yeah yeah I saw that like what part of it's my food that I paid for? It's got my name on it. And did you think you could just have it? I'm tell I was in Bible college. You're all I need. You're and then wanting to murder people. Like driving, you know, that's I was thinking like bad thoughts. And yet I'm in Bible college. And then I realized, oh dear God, even in Bible college, there are jerky people that require me to forgive them. And God's like, yeah, if you can't handle that, how can I pick you up and drop you into a mess? Like we are here to bring healing where there's brokenness, to bring hope where there's devastation. So let me just tell you the first reason, and I know I'm out of time because the keys are up, is that as iron sharpens iron, which is a lovely scripture. We love quoting that. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. But you know how iron sharpens iron? Ka-ching, sparks, ka-ching, sparks, ka-ching, sparks. We, we don't like the sparks. We just want the, the nice part of the verse. The greatest thing that ever happened to me was me getting into connection, getting into a connect group. That's the first thing. The second thing is it makes you healthy. The third thing, the last one, because I've, I've got to finish really quickly, that more is, let me say right, caught than taught. Because if I say it in my Aussie accent, it's caught than taught. Because Australian English is lazy English. British English is much better, really, darling. You know, much more is caught than taught, darling. And, but Anyway, the Aussies butcher it, caught than taught, mate. Um, but caught than taught, caught than taught. In the Bible, and listen, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to dissuade people from 
education, higher education seminaries, all of that, all of that has its place. In the Bible, there's a school of the prophets, school of the prophets, school of the prophets. And yet, and yet every time God does something dramatically, He kind of just glosses over the school of the prophets. So interesting, Jesus has 12 disciples and not one of them came out of a seminary. He didn't choose one from the Sadducees, one from the Pharisees, one from the scribes, one from the Levites. He, 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 he went to marketplace people. The, the, the kingdom is transferable. So Elijah has a servant called Elisha. Moses has Joshua. In, in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14, Joshua isn't the, he's, he's not the, he's not the, the head of the class. He's not the successor. It looks like it's Caleb. Even God highlights and says, no one's entering except Caleb. He's got a different spirit like that kid. So Caleb's highlight. It was Caleb that quieted the people. It was Caleb that said, their protection is the part of God. It was Caleb. Joshua's just kind of just, I'm with him. Whatever he's saying, I'm, I'm with him. And yet at the end of Moses' life, Caleb's not the successor. Joshua's the successor. Because the Bible says when Moses would go out to the tabernacle of meeting, the young man Joshua would go with him and the Lord would come down and speak with Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. But because Moses couldn't just spend all day in the presence of God, he had, he had duties. The Bible says, and, and Moses would depart from the tent and go back to dealing with the people. But, but, but the Bible says, but the young man Joshua would, would linger behind. He would stay behind in the presence of God. The Bible says when, when God called Moses up to get the Ten Commandments, which Moses broke before he got to the bottom, which is another leadership lesson. But anyway, another time. Well, he, he, you know, he takes Joshua with him and God's like, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm just bringing young. He goes, no, no, he can't come up here. And they're just like, oh, well, do I? He goes, no, you can't go back. Well, what do I do? Just stay halfway. So Joshua has to sit halfway. He's, he's, he's not up in the glory. I mean, Moses stands in the glory. He stand, the Bible says the Lord came down on the mountain and you, you know that Moses wrote Genesis and he wasn't there because he's standing in, in glory where there's no time and he looks this way and he sees the heavens and the earth, formless void, darkness, Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. He sees all of that and He records it. And then He looks this way and He sees all the way to the end of Deuteronomy where He sees Him going up on a mountain. It's like, whoa, trippy. He's there. The Bible says for 40 days, 40 nights, He ate and drank nothing. You, you can't physically survive, but because He's in a place where there's no time, because He's in the glory. Joshua yeah, not. Joshua is in time, stuck halfway up a mountain. Now, if you know your Bible, the people down there, they've said, what, whatever ha what, what has happened to this man? As for this man, Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. Come, Aaron, you make us gods that we may worship. And he's like, all right, bring me your, bring me your earrings. And he throws them into a fire and, you know, this, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. And, made the, and they all began to dance and get their jiggy on and, it was, you know, chaos. 
So Mo, so Joshua can hear down in 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 the people, and then Moses is up there, you know, up there, and Joshua's just, and it's not like it was for four hours. It's not like you know when I'm at the mall with Leanne and she just wants to try one thing on, which is never one thing. I'm thinking, oh, one thing, yeah, well, we'll be in and out in 40 minutes. Four hours later, it's like. <laughs> How many one things? Oh, it's one things in each category. I got it now. Anyway, don't tell her I said that, okay? And so I'll be in big boot. Anyway, so, but Joshua, he's 40 days. He's not in glory. He's not with the people. He's in between. And so the mantle passes to Joshua, not the gifted Caleb. Elisha is with Elijah and Elijah says to Elisha, stay here while I go on to Gilgal. He says, as the Lord your God lives, I'm not leaving you. So they go on to Gilgal. They get to Gilgal, he does his stuff there. And he says, all right, listen, I've got to go on to Bethel. You stay. He goes, so Lord your God lives, I'm not. He's like, so they go on to Bethel. Then he says, now listen, you stay here. I'm, going. He's like, I'm not. He's like, what do you want? He goes, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want a double portion of your spirit. Now watch this, I, I promise I'm landing the plane. Elijah says to Elisha, if you are with me, if you are with me, I don't need other people. I can, I, I've got like a big study Bible and I like watch YouTube videos and I'm learning the Greek, the Hebrew and the Aramaic. I don't need other people. Jesus says where two or more are gathered. I don't need, I can just speak where two or more are gathered. I don't like that, but where two or more are gathered. There I am in the midst. No, no, what about if I've got like Hillsong on in the background? What if I've got like elevation worship rattle? That draws the, I feel he's, no, no, Jesus, where two or more are gathered, there I'm in the midst. So he says to Elisha, if you are with me when I am taken up, it'll be done for you. In other words, if you can stay connected. Paul said this, he says, Timothy, Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you through the laying on of the hands of the presbytery and prophecy. Stir up that gift. Timothy was called by God, was anointed by God, was appointed by God to be a leader in the church. For years, we have preached that, that from the moment you were conceived in the womb, the giftings of God and the callings of God and the anointings of God were put in you so that as you work out this life, you'll see, oh my God, these gifts, these bents, this is what I'm meant to do. As though God had already, there are some things required for your destiny you don't have yet. I don't really like this preaching, he's ruining my theology. There are things in your life that you need to fulfill your destiny, you don't have yet. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, 
stir up the gift that is in you that you weren't born with. It was imparted to you in a fellowship when we laid hands on you with the presbytery because you need that gift to operate in your destiny. The calling was there from birth. The calling was there from childhood. There was a faith in your grandmama. There was a faith in your mama. There's a faith on the inside of you, but to equip you, you needed to be in fellowship. To equip you, you need to be in connection. To equip you, you need to be in community. In community, there are things that will flow to you. The Kingdom of Heaven is a flow and it flows in community. When you are connected, like when my phone was disconnected. I remember when I was first courting Leanne, I'm in Bible college and a lot of you can't even relate to this, but back, back then we used to use pay phones. Like why didn't you just FaceTime? There was no sir. Pay phones. And the problem with pay phones is, is there were certain hours. Do you remember that, Dr. Jim? There were certain hours where the rates were higher. The rates were higher, you know, it was like, you know, $5 a minute, you know. And, but if you called between midnight and 3 a.m., which I couldn't do, because my father-in-law today would have punched my lights out. But, you know, so, so I remember I just had all, my, all the money I had, I just changed into like the equivalent of quarters and I just, and I'm on the phone to Leanne. Anyway, she's asking me about, you know, my ex-girlfriend from the, a year earlier, Lisa. And, and, and this girl, you know, she broke up with me. She broke up with me, okay? She broke up with me, so, you know, it was over. It was over, but, but I still cared for her because um, she'd gone through an eating disorder and there was all this abuse. And so I walked through getting her deliverance and healing in the hospital and everything. And even though, even though God had made it clear that she wasn't to be my wife, I still, I still cared for her. So Leanne, we're just starting to court. And so Leanne says this, she goes, you know, you still love Lisa, don't you? And I didn't realize it was a loaded question. And so, so I said, yes, I still love Lisa, but um, I know that she's not, you know, my wife, you are, I, I can't stop caring. But the problem is I said, yes, I still love Lisa. Do, 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 do. That's where it cut out. Now here's the problem. I couldn't call back. I couldn't FaceTime. I couldn't borrow someone's cell phone because there was no cell phone. I had to wait till Friday. This was a Monday. I had to wait till Friday till I got paid so I could go onto the phone. So the whole week Leanne was miserable because we got disconnected. When things are disconnected, communication is muffled, mixed messages, mixed. When, there's, when we had our power disconnected, we had three days of cold showers. Nothing will motivate you to, hey, we really ought to get around to paying that power bill. Then three days, don't be disconnected, get connected. Don't be disconnected, get connected. Everything good happens in connection. Can somebody say amen? Amen, come on, give God a praise. I am way over time. Pastor Mike's doing this. You know, when he's doing that, you're in big boo-boo. Would you just close your eyes and bow your head? Let me pray for you. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you got disconnected from God. All connection and all reconnection begins. All life begins when you get reconnected to God. Maybe you're here and maybe you once walked with God, but you slipped away, ran away, fell away. You're just away. Come back. Maybe you're here today and you kind of think, well, you know, I like God. And yeah, you know, like I'm here in church because I'm connecting with God. That's, that's why I'm here. 
But let me ask you a question. Are you 100% certain that you're going to heaven? Like, well, I, I hope I'm going, I, I, I think, I'm, like I'm not, I'm not as bad as, there's a guy at work, Kevin, he's like real, and I'm not. Can I just tell you the one thing you don't wanna leave up for grabs, the one area you don't wanna leave for a gamble is your eternity. The Bible says you can know that you are saved. The moment you make peace with God, the moment you receive His only Son, Jesus, who He sent into the world to reconcile man to God and God to man, the moment you receive Him, you have everlasting life. You may say, well, I've been really religious, and that's, that's not a bad thing. There's so many really great tenets in religion, but it's not a substitute. God, for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. And if you're here and you've never received Christ, or you once did and you're away, or you've grown up with religion, but you've never crossed that line, I wanna pray for you in the last 30 seconds. If that's you, would you quickly raise your hand? Say, Pastor, that's me. I'm away from God, disconnected from God, far from God, and I need to come. Who, who are those ones? Just shoot your hand up high. Thank you, sir. Who else is there? Would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Who else is there? Say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Thank you. Through there, I see that hand. Thank you. Who else is there? Just lift it up high. I'm out of time, but I want to pray. Who else is there? Thank you, sir. I see that hand. I still feel like there's someone else. Who is that one? Just say, hey, that's me. I need to reconnect with God. I've drifted. I'm far from God. Who else is there? Would you quickly raise your hand? Thank you through there, darling. I see that hand. Once I've seen it, you can put it down. There's still somebody. God's tugging on somebody's heart. Right now, your heart's racing in your chest. Who is that one? You can feel it pounding. Thank you, beautiful. Thank you, young man. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Still feel like there's one. Who is that one? God's going after you. He loves you. He's not trying to get anything from you. Thank you, sweetie. He's trying to get something to you. And I still feel like there's one more. Who is that one? Who is that one? Thank you, sweetie, your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. While, while our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, let me quickly lead you through a prayer. It's a powerful prayer, but a very simple one. While our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, let's say these words out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I wanna thank You today that You so love me. You sent Jesus Christ, Your only begotten Son, on a rescue mission to save my life. Lord Jesus, on the cross, You made an exchange. You took my sin, my shame, all my wrongdoings and died so that I could be free. On that cross, You gave me Your perfection and Your righteousness so that today I am free, I am forgiven, I am a child of God. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.